The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation out of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Melanie. Hey, everybody. If we have not met, my name is Russ Ramsey, and I'm the pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church's Cool Springs location. It's really funny to see the way that you all are contoured into the shade. It's just perfect. Um, by the way, there's lots of shade right here. If you're looking for some, you need to move into it. Um, at the beginning of the service, we asked if, if you would uh, let us know that you're here this morning. We have some cards back there where you can just give us your name, and, and especially if, if we've never met before, if this is your first time with us, we would love to have a record of your visit. There are other ways you can do that as well. There's a QR code on the back of the bulletin and the handout that you got that had the the lyrics on it, and you can scan that and uh, sign in that way as well. Uh, it just it helps us know how to follow up and how to how to care for people better to have have that information. So we won't share it with anybody, but we'd love to have it ourselves. Um, so if you wouldn't mind doing that, uh, yeah. So our church has been meeting for about two and a half years. Uh, we just signed a five-year lease on a permanent facility that we're going to be moving into. Yeah which is really exciting. We're going to be doing that in October, right around there. We don't have a firm date yet because we have some, you know, we're, some, th- some things have to happen first, uh, but uh, that's kind of the target, and that's what we're thinking. Uh, but for the last two and a half years, we've been meeting at the Embassy Suites Ballroom uh, in, right there in the heart of Cool Springs um, with our uh, worship services happening on one side of, of the conference space hallway and the kids' ministry happening on the other side. And uh, it's been a really, um, it's been a great experience for us these first couple of years, uh, setting up and tearing down every week. Um, And in the process growing, uh, our community has grown in number, but it's also grown in depth. Uh, When we started, you know, we didn't know each other. 
Uh, I didn't know many of you, many you didn't know each other, and the Lord has really built a beautiful community that I am uh, just thrilled to be a part of. Uh, it's just the happiest that I've ever been in ministry. So uh, if you're here and you don't have a church home, we would love for you to be a part of what we're doing uh, in the Cool Springs area. Uh, and you can find information about us online, or just uh, if you were invited by a friend, you can ask them as well. But it's fun to be here in Cottonwood, uh, here at the Cottonwood Clubhouse in this beautiful, beautiful morning. My words this morning are going to be brief. Uh, and um, so we knew we were going to be doing this outdoor service. We knew we wanted to do a service where we're like, hey, invite your friends, bring some people. Um, but we also planned out our sermon series well in advance. And so I was looking at, okay, what are we going to be preaching on while here in the uh, Cottonwood uh, subdivision? And the golden calf is what is what we drew. Um, but you know, uh, there's, there's an interesting thing happening in this passage. And so I'm just going to get into it. Um, we're, we're just going to skim the surface of what there is to say about this passage, but I want to I just cover a couple of things. When I was in high school, I, I grew up in a little town in Indiana called Tipton, which is near a town called Kokomo, uh, which was where our shopping mall was. And um, I was a part of a youth group. I became a part of a youth group when I was a sophomore in high school that was a it was a non-denominational, full gospel, charismatic, swinging from the chandeliers church. It was a a fun church to be a part of, and uh, one of the things that was so special about that church, and the church is still around, one of the things that was so special about that church was how um, serious people were about their faith. There was a zeal for Christ, and it was and it was palpable in the youth group itself. And so my time in that youth group, it was a time when I really came to learn the foundations of what it is that I've believe about about Jesus and what it meant to walk with him in a personal way. It may be hard to even even imagine, but it was a youth group that was filled with kids who were zealous to serve and worship the Lord. We were all about Jesus. Um, and thanks to social media, I've been able to kind of go back and, and reconnect with a lot of those friends um, from those days. And you know, what, what I see there as I connect is I see that a lot of those kids uh, have, like me, gone on to some, gone on into some sort of vocational ministry. Many have married other kids who are also in the youth group and have families of their own, and they're still part of that church. Some stayed there. Uh, but I also see that, that there were others in that group who, they were there every week. They were singing the songs we were all singing and hearing the same talks and seemingly had the same kind of spiritual fervor, um, but have since turned away, have turned away from Christianity, have turned away from Jesus, have, have rejected the church, and have struggled in some really profound ways. And, and my heart always goes out when I, when I see stories like that, particularly of people that I, that I knew um, back in those days. Um, and it makes me wonder, like, what, what were they feeling then? What were they feeling then when, when, it, when, the, when the youth group itself had this uh, fervency and this zeal? Were, were there kids, there had to have been, kids that were in there that were, that were trying to put on a good face for everybody else in order to fit in? It makes me wonder to what degree were, were other kids doing that because they, they were lonely? Because I was lonely. I know that was a part of, of that experience. Were they hurting? Were they angry? Were they being mistreated in some way? Were they trying to 
fit in. And I, and I think about today's passage, this passage about the golden calf, and here's the connection that I want to make. And it's this. Today's text gives us a sober reminder that just because a group of people may be on the same pilgrimage, they're not necessarily having the same spiritual experience. And that can be a lonely place if that's you. If you're somebody who feels like, it feels like everybody else is experiencing some kind of authenticity or some kind of connection that seems to elude me. And you find yourself in a place where you feel like maybe all I need to do, maybe, maybe all I can do is just, is just try to fit in, try to blend in. And so I wonder about that, because maybe this is you. Maybe, maybe you're somebody who, who you're trying to fit in by way of appearances, but you may feel on the inside a million miles away from God. And maybe you're angry with God. And if, you, if you're there, if that's you, if you feel like you're on the outs with God, I want you to hear perhaps an unconventional, but at least earnest appeal to lean into the grace that is in the passage that we read, the grace of Christ that is continued on and is on display from this passage. Verses 1 through 6 of the chapter, which we didn't read today, they tell us what was happening before this passage. And it's this, Moses had gone up onto Mount Sinai. This is when he received the Ten Commandments, and he was up there for a long time. He had just gone away, and the people were down there on the ground, and Moses was up on the mountain, and he wasn't coming down, and people were wondering what was happening. And eventually the Israelites just ran out of patience, and they thought that Moses had just left them. And so they told Aaron, you know, uh, make us a new God. Uh, the one we've been following and, and the leader of all this has just kind of vanished, so would you make us another one? And so Aaron gathers all of their gold, and this passage is just rich with some some tragic comedy, you know, where, where Aaron puts in the, the gold and the furnace and he, and he explains to Moses, I, I put the gold in and just out came this calf, like he didn't know what really happened. Um, but, but that's what happened. He gathered all the gold and he made a calf. Why a calf? What it was is it was a young bull, and that was in the style of the Canaanite god Baal, who Israel would continue to fall into worshiping along the way as they followed Moses and as they entered the Promised Land. So Baal was this god, if you read the Old Testament, he shows up again and again as this idol that people would worship, as an object of worship. And when Aaron built the calf, the people of Israel gathered around it and they made some declarations about it. And one of the declarations they made is they said, these are your gods to the golden calf. This is who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And seeing their response, their fervency, Aaron built an altar before the calf. And that's important. And the reason it's important that Aaron built an altar, bear with me on this, is because up to this point, Israel had no altar. You may be wondering, well, what's that got to do with anything? Here's what it has to do with. When Aaron built the altar, what he was actually doing was he was building a religion. He was building a religion. And he even proclaimed the next day to be a feast that was part of that 
religion. And the people then responded very religiously, and they offered burnt offerings, and they offered peace offerings. And the passage says this, it says the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's what the text says. That expression, rose up to play, is a euphemism that refers to a drunken orgy. That's what happened. And you may say, what is going on there? This is classic Baal worship. They just started worshiping another god. And that's what they're doing. They're emulating a pagan religion that they'd seen and that they'd heard about. But it goes deeper than that even. And the reason it goes deeper than that is because one of the things that's on display in this passage that's relevant to all of us is it's showing us again that we are worshipers. We're worshipers by nature, all of us. We worship, and we can't help it. God created us to be worshipers, and our hearts want to worship something. God created us to long for Him. He created our hearts to want to worship Him, but we misplace that longing all the time by pursuing other gods, and the other gods that we pursue are the ones who will serve us. So that's what we do. We trade the God that we're called to serve for gods that will serve us. And this is nothing new. John Calvin said it this way. He said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, an expert in inventing idols. And that's really what's happening in this passage. And the truth is, every one of us is a worshiper. The question isn't, do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? And the follow-up question to that is, do you know the answer? Because you worship something. Everybody worships something. So that's what's happening on the ground, right? That's what's happening at the base of the mountain, is the people have thought Moses is just gone. He ghosted us. And now it's time for us to start over again. Let's create a, worship, a, a religion that we're familiar with. That's what's happening on the ground. And then the text that Melanie read for us takes us to what's happening up on the mountain where Moses was meeting with God. And God told Moses, you need to go down there because they've made this golden calf and they're worshiping it. And in the process of doing that, Israel thought they had found themselves just like we do when we, when we worship things, when we give our affection and our allegiance to things, we think we're finding ourselves. They thought they found themselves. And what God said is actually they have now corrupted themselves. Because it isn't the act of worship that builds us up. It's the object of our worship that builds us up. And so what follows is a really tense and admittedly confusing uh, passage in the Old Testament where it seems that God and Moses get in a little bit of a debate and Moses seems to win. Because God says, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to burn it to the ground. Uh, the whole thing. They, they, have, they, have, they do not deserve to continue because they've rejected me. And Moses intercedes. God says he's so angry that he should consume them. And this isn't, it's important for us to understand, this is not God losing his temper. This is God responding to abandonment. He's responding to their abandonment by making him into some kind of a bale that they can manipulate. And we try this with God all the time. We try to make him into somebody that we can manipulate. I will do this for you, but I really expect you to deliver for me then on the other end. It's a serious moment when Moses intercedes. And it's serious because God is perfectly within his rights 
as the holy righteous creator of heaven and earth to forsake his people here according to the terms of any covenant of the day. But Moses appeals to the particularity of the promise God made to his people. He's saying to God, you didn't make just any covenant. You didn't make just any promise. You made a particular one with Abraham, and it's one that you said you would keep unilaterally, that you would be the one to keep all by yourself. And guess what happens in the passage? It's in the last verse we see it. God preserves them. He preserves them. Even though they don't deserve to be preserved, he preserves them. When his people had collectively turned aside to worship other gods, God kept them, and he didn't cast them away. When they grew impatient with him and acted like he wasn't even real, after all they'd seen and experienced, he didn't cast them away. When God appointed leaders of the people. And when those leaders then collapsed under the pressure to satisfy the demands of an angry culture, he kept them. Friends, we run after other gods and we worship them and we grow impatient with God's timeline and we equate his silence with his absence, don't we? Sometimes we say, God, you're, you're being silent. It makes me think you're not present. As leaders, we can turn and bend to the will of cultural demands. As followers, we turn fickle and we adopt a, well, what have you done for me lately kind of posture toward the creator of heaven and earth. And yet, and yet, and yet, he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. He perseveres and he preserves his covenant. He disciplines us and he calls us out of rebellion and into obedience, but not because he's angry. He does it because of his great love. How can we know? How can we know that the way God acts toward us is based on his love? How can we know that he does this out of love? We know how God accomplished his promise to Abraham. God told Abraham that he would take a people, that he would make them his own, that he would keep them and never let them go, and that they would be his forever, and he would bless them, and he would use them to be a blessing to the world. How do we know God kept that promise? Because he sent his son Jesus to fulfill that promise perfectly, to be what we were made to be, to live this humble, obedient, resolute life in, in the place of a proud and rebellious and fickle people. And so here's the gospel truth that I want to close with, and it's this. When the people of Israel rejected God as their deliverer, and when they made other gods to worship instead, God had plenty of reason to reject them, but he didn't. He did the opposite, because this is what God does. He atones, and he forgives, and he gives grace, and he calls, and he keeps. And he does this because of his great love. And so this can only mean one thing for you and for me, and it means this. You are dear to the heart of God. You're dear to the heart of God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for difficult passages where we see your righteousness on display, where we see people rejecting you and turning away from you, and we see you preserving and keeping even still. And Lord, we're thankful for that because you are, this is how you are. Uh, it's what you. It's the reason why Christ has come. 
Because we may all seem like we're on this pilgrimage together, but everybody here within the sound of my voice may be experiencing a very different experience on a spiritual level. But you are the one who calls and you are the one who keeps. And so, Lord, I pray for those who may be feeling lost, for those who may be feeling outside, who may be feeling like they've they've feeling like you've somehow abandoned them, and so they're kind of starting over uh, with someplace else, that we would all remember your faithfulness to keep and to preserve your people. Thank you for the gift of the local church, this community that we're a part of. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're just going to wrap up the service now with a benediction and a doxology. Uh, feel free to hang around as long as you want to. We're going to be doing some cleanup if you want to pitch in and help with